everybody, this is Cindy Fish. You are listening to the At His Feet podcast. I want to invite you today to set aside your whirlwind of busyness and mental to-do list to have a seat beside me at the feet of Jesus. Now let's pursue Him together. Thank you for listening. Hello, welcome to At His Feet podcast. This week is National Infertility Week. So it has me, I've been just stirred up. Anyway, um, so here's an extra episode. Uh, This is a week to bring awareness and and show support for those enduring the situation. Uh, No person struggling with infertility has the same story or the same symptoms or the same condition. I recently, I'll tell you kind of why I'm actually even doing the episode. I recently met someone who I had wanted to meet for some time. She made a comment about being mostly silent in 2020 um, as so much was going on and she wanted to make sure she had something valuable to say in that time. And that even now in 2020, that basically she didn't want to open her mouth on every subject, but had been waiting to make sure that she actually had something to say. Basically, it was this heart of, I'm weighing my words and if I say something, I want it to be valuable. And if I don't actually need to speak on something, then I don't want to, basically. So that resonated with me, though. And to not open my mouth publicly on every issue, I have already felt that way at many times, but I feel it even more now. And her words, obviously, I didn't say them exactly the same. She was a lot more well-spoken than me, but as she said them, I could it connected, you know? So that's why... That's why I wanted to talk about this. I saw it and I thought, you know what? I know people that suffer from this and I know that there are people that are suffering in silence. And so I'm not going to say that I understand 100% because I don't. But today is not about me and today will not include any stories about me like I so often share. The reason we need to talk about infertility is because so many suffer in silence. I feel like there's almost this shame or embarrassment or a feeling like something is wrong with someone that's feeling this or having, you know, infertility problems. But those things aren't the case. Those are beliefs, and I guess it's a a stigma around infertility. Honestly, the stigma was there in the Bible days, and we're going to talk about it. But there's nothing wrong with us if we can't have children or, or having trouble or have something going on or a condition, you know, like PCOS or something that affects our ability to have children. God is the giver of life, right? He he is the only one able. And so it's not an us thing. It's a him thing. And we have to go to him and we have to just let him work and, and believe in him and and, and pray and, and obviously see doctors and do whatever you have to do, whatever means you feel are necessary to have have a child. Anyways, I won't get into all of that, but I know I wanted to talk about it too, not only for the one dealing with infertility, but also because I know that so many weekly, sometimes daily, get questions about when they ha- plan on having kids and when they'll start a family. And I know that each question that comes just adds to the ache, adds to the fear that God won't come through. Today in a devotion on a minister's wife group I'm in, a precious woman said over and over, fear is a liar. Fear is not from God, and we don't have to entertain the thoughts that it would plant in our heads. 
And I know that today the the feelings and emotions that surround those dealing with infertility are more than I could put into words and often complex and I'm sure changing with each day. If you're dealing with this and have felt like your body has failed you, I just remind you again, the only one to give life is God. He's the only one with the ability. If you're seeing a doctor, do what they say to do, but also know that Jesus is the giver of life. My advice to the one not dealing with fertility is stop asking people when they're going to have a baby. (laughs) I can't tell you how many times I've told my husband that over and over. Stop asking. It's not our business. And also, you never know the reason. Infertility doesn't have a face. There's not an outward symptom or a certain category of people that automatically deal with this. So I take this stance You never, ever know what someone is facing. When I first got in the church, I had a very dear friend who's a couple years older than me, and she got married before me. You know, uh, as soon as you get married, the questions start, and um, she had a condition, actually PCOS, and I remember, you know, people would ask elder in the church or or whatever, you know, when are are y'all going to have kids? And I remember any time that I was standing there or sitting there when the question was asked, I just felt this just desperate need to like answer for her because I was tired of hearing the questions and I knew the ache that it caused every single time. So I would answer so quickly, you know, oh, whenever God wants or, oh, there's no rush, you know, all these answers. I fully believe that that God would give them a baby, and I, I still, I still do. I believe God's a healer, and I could believe that there's no uh, syndrome or disease that is too big for God. I believe that. I still believe that. But I also know the hurt that each question caused. So that's my number one advice as far as someone outside of um, not being one that dealt with infertility, but being one that's been a friend to those who have. Don't ask. Don't ask people when they're going to have a baby. (laughs) Anyways, uh, today we are going to talk about five women in the Old Testament that were marked as barren. Obviously, now we would talk about that as someone who was dealing with infertility, having problems getting pregnant, those kind of things. But we will get into it. We'll go ahead and quickly get into this uh, brief study uh, for a few hours tonight. I dug into these ladies' stories and what kind of stuck out to me. Um, they're Honestly, their stories have rolled around in my head for days. So I wanted to share, and I thought maybe I would do an uh, Instagram live or something like that. And then I thought, no way, because my hair would have to be kind of fixed for that, and I didn't feel like it. <laughs> so I thought, why not do another podcast episode it's what I'm comfortable with. It's what um, you're used to. So we'll start out. So in the in the Old Testament, there were five women marked as barren. And then one in the New Testament. You know, many of these women, we know their story, but we know them more by who their sons were. Notice I said these women who were named barren all ended up having at least one child proof to us that God does heal and that God does care and reach into these types of situations. Every situation is different. I know that. 
So I'm not, I'm not bringing anything to you, but just their stories and what God did for them and what he did for them, he can do for us if we have need, right? And so that's why I felt to share this. Uh, The first though is Sarah. The first thing, the very first thing that we read about Sarah in Genesis 11 is that she was barren. The barrenness defined her. The word says that she was barren before we ever even hear about a promise that God was going to give Abraham her husband. You see, later on, God gave Abraham a promise that his descendants would number more than the stars, among other things, that he would be the father of nations. Crazy promise. What a promise for the husband of a woman who couldn't have children. Do you think, though, for even a moment that God made a mistake when he promised Abraham? No, he didn't He didn't promise Abraham and then look at Sarah as an afterthought and think, well, I got to do something here. No, no. He, he had a plan all along. What he promised to Abraham was for Sarah too, right? When we are married, we are one. Sarah was as human as we are. She doubted. She questioned if she was included in the promise, and then she tried to make it happen her way. But even still, God's promise remained. Abraham and Sarah would have a son. He would be the descendant that nations would come from. Both Abraham and Sarah doubted, though. I actually never noticed this part of their story. This is Genesis 15, 2 and 3, and this is Abraham speaking. Before his name changed, it says this, But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring and a member of my household will be my heir. So here, Abraham thought that maybe God would let his servant, Eliezer, be his heir and carry on this promise. And then if you listen to the podcast um, before this episode, you've heard all about Sarah's plan. That was in episode nine, Losing Control. Here's her uh, her plan, Genesis 16, one and two. So a chapter later than Abraham's Abraham's plea with God, let let it just be one of my servants. If you're not going to give me a kid, God, I know you promised it, but if you're not going to, let it be one of my servants. And so here's Sarah, one chapter later, Genesis 16, 1 and 2. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar, and Sarah said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go in to my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abraham, Abram, listened to the voice of Sarah. Once again, she says in the Losing Control episode, I pointed it out, but I point it out again today. She says this, The Lord has prevented me. From bearing children. Here she is. She had received this promise. They had received a promise, this great and mighty promise. And still she's here believing God has stopped me from having children. God gave us a promise, but it's not going to work. And maybe he was wrong. So she's here. She's questioning it. Like she knows what God said to Abram, but even still, she knows that it hasn't happened and it's been a long time. And she knows that they're both old and, uh, She just thinks it's not going to work. So God rejected Abraham using his servant to fulfill the promise. And then Sarah 
literally comes up with a duplicate plan when she says, Hey, Abraham, let's use my servant. Maybe God rejected yours, but let's use mine. Both plans, though, were denied by God, and Sarah's plan had more follow-through, so it also resulted in, in her just being so hurt. A couple failed plans, lots of doubt, and even disbelief in the plan of God to the point of laughter. <laughs> Yet God still fulfilled his promise. Sarah was 90 and Abraham was 100 when she finally conceived 25 years waiting on a promise. Isaac, meaning laughter, was born and was a joy to them all. We learn from Sarah, if God has given you a promise, stand on it. If you've stumbled and doubted, had moments of fear or anxiety over what the outcome will be, stand back up and believe. Believe that God will do what He says He will do. Write the promise down if you have to. Sticky note it anywhere and everywhere that you will see it. But but believe it. Read it and believe it. Buy something in faith for the promise and know that God does all things well. There was a young couple at a church in Kentucky several years ago. I say young couple, well, same age as my husband and I. They were desperate for a baby, and they came up for prayer. My husband laid hands on them. He had just preached about how basically God could do anything. God had never lost a battle, all this stuff. Powerful message. And they come up, and they wanted a baby. So Taylor laid hands on them, and he prayed. And everyone could feel that something happened in that service. You know those moments where you know God did something? So they went and they bought a crib in faith. They did that act of faith. And so almost nine months to the week of that service, they had a beautiful baby girl. Every time that we go back to that church, it's the sweetest thing to see the fulfillment of their promise. She is precious and she is perfect. And we've gotten to see her every year since she was a brand new baby And every time I've been so moved at how God moved on their behalf and how we get to watch and witness as she grows. This March while we were there, so not long ago, this sweet baby girl, four years old, was filled with the Holy Ghost. I cried like a baby. I always cry, but this was different. So special. Not only that, but they've also had a little boy since their first miracle baby, and so God worked it out, and they got not just one, but two precious baby babies after a period of time of not being able to have any and really without answers. I wanted to share that story just to remind someone that God still does it, and He can still do it as quick as a church service. You know, for Abram and Sarah, 25 years, but for this couple, it was literally a service. It was a moment. It was a moment of you know, the preacher having faith and the couple having faith and God just answering based on their petition, on their plea. When we consider the patriarchs of the faith, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we know that they all had the promise of a multitude of descendants. God made each of them a promise. But we couple that with that each of their wives dealt with infertility. Sarah, Rebecca, and Rachel. Genesis 25 introduces Rebecca to us. Other than Rebecca's lineage details, her being barren is the first thing we hear about her. 
once again, it is such a focus. And in that time, it was such a shame. And if it was the first necessary detail that the Bible gives us about a woman, you know, over and over, then how much more in real life did this plague their minds? Verse 21 tells us that Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife and God answers and Rebekah conceived. Entreated here means to ask earnestly, beg or plead with. Isaac knew the promise that was on his life and he knew that God had to intervene if it was going to come to pass. Not only did God open her womb, but she was carrying twins. Isaac asked for one, God gave a double blessing, and he did it so quickly. Within the same verse, Isaac prayed, and God did it. I don't know why. I don't always understand. But sometimes God does it quick. Like for Rebecca. Sometimes God has a longer process. Like for Sarah. Isaiah 55 and 9 says it like this, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. His ways are not our own, and we cannot understand His plans, but rest assured, our God always has a plan. Next is Rachel, third generation, Jacob's wife. One generation after Rebecca, so it's three in a row, with infertility. Jacob did have children through Leah and through two of his wives' servants, but and that was Bilhah and Zilpah. But Rachel, Rachel was his chosen spouse. Rachel was who he loved and cherished, and she was barren. Jacob had worked for Rachel for 14 years, 14 years waiting for his beautiful bride and her waiting for him too only for her to not be able to do what was so vital in their day to bear children. Rachel's words in Genesis 30 tell her desperation. She said to Jacob, give me children or else I die. (laughs) It sounds drama in strong words, but I can't imagine how she felt so desperate for what she wanted most. Later in chapter 30 of Genesis, I love the wording. It says, and God remembered Rachel. How long did she feel forgotten? How long did she feel almost defected? Like, how long did she feel unseen by the the same God who had given three women around her, son after son, all by the same man? So, of course, she was blaming herself. Once again, we don't have the ability to give life. God does. And when God remembers you, nothing can stop it. God looked and saw her pain and desperation and fulfilled her desire. It actually says, and God remembered Rachel and God heard her and granted her children. If you feel unseen, unheard, seemingly surrounded by others, having child after child like Rachel, let me remind you a truth about our God. The Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor His ear heavy that it cannot hear. He hears you. He has heard every cry. He has seen every tear. He knows your every desire. The next one, Manoah's wife. If I say this description of this unknown woman You probably don't even know who I'm talking about. Who was Manoah and why is his wife important? 
Let me re-describe her for you, though. Samson's mom. (laughs) Samson's mom. You know, the word doesn't even say her name, but says that she was unable to conceive. The angel of the Lord appeared before her and said, Behold, you are barren and you have never had children, but you will conceive and give birth to a son. What made this birth so special is not only the fact that God had opened her womb, but the fact that Samson would be set apart. What made this birth so special is not only the fact that God had opened her womb, but the fact that Samson would be set apart, set apart for special use by God. He would take the Nazarite vow. When I read this in my daily reading last month, it stuck out to me. I didn't have any idea I'd do this podcast. I just thought, man, this is so cool. The angel of the Lord told Samson's mother that he would be required to take the Nazarite vow from the womb. So what did that mean? Samson's mama was required to take the vow while pregnant. It wasn't just required of her son, but it was required of her if she was going to carry that son. So yes, she received a beautiful child, but it required something of her. She would be required to adhere to all the same standards that her son would before ever even seeing this promised child. Don't you know that the very best blessings require something of us? As a soon-to-be mom, so much changes in our world. Our priorities shift, and too many times to count, mamas turn their lives around in preparation for a new baby. If you are currently waiting, if you feel like you're waiting for your promise, I challenge you to give something extra to God in preparation. Samson's mom was set apart before he even arrived. What's the next one? Hannah. Hannah. Her husband was Elkanah. She was one of two wives that he had. The other wife had children. The other wife having children hurt Hannah so bad, and it hurt to even see them. Year after after year, Hannah would be made to cry. The word actually says that this other wife provoked her sore for to make her fret because the Lord had shut up her womb. To be so hurt that she would refuse to eat. It hurt to know what was missing because she so desperately wanted a child and she felt less than for not having a child as she sat across the table from this woman with multiple child children. The word says that um, Penina had sons and daughters. So we don't know how many, but we know she had a lot of kids. But we know, in knowing the full story, that Hannah was nowhere near less than. She was the one that God would entrust to be the mother of a mighty prophet. One year, they would come year after year. One year, Hannah had just had enough. She was so hurt and had just reached her limit. And she went to the temple and in her bitterness, she prayed to God and wept sore. She made a vow to God, saying this, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me, and not forget thine handmaid, but wilt give unto thine handmaid a man-child, she's asking specifically for a male, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. What a promise to make. God, bless me with a child. I don't even have to see him. I just want to know that a part of me is dedicated to you. 
She didn't want offspring for her glory, but solely to bring God glory. She said, God, I'll dedicate him to you. As soon as he can get in the temple, I will bring him in the temple to serve you. What a promise to make. She was so broken in her prayers that the prophet Eli thought she was drunk. The words through her story, she was provoked sore. Uh, She refused to eat. Her soul was bitter. She wept sore and on and on. All these negatives. She had experienced every hurt you could imagine from not being able to have a child. But the remedy for her was pouring her heart out to God. I think for the first time, instead of being upset and not eating, she decided to bring her problem to the right place. What better place? She went to the temple and wept sore basically until she had no tears left to cry. Everything in her was poured out to God that day. Years and years of hurt. She made a desperate promise to God. And after all of that, verse 18 says, So the woman went her way and did eat, and her countenance was no more sad. After pouring out to God in that way, she had peace. Verse 19, and they rose up in the morning and worshiped before the Lord and returned and came to the house to Ramah and Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. The next step after pouring out all of her worries and fears and desires and bitterness out to God was to worship him. Then it says, the Lord remembered her. The same wording as Rachel, the Lord remembered her. She also asked that in her prayer. She said, God, remember me. Give me a man child. Give me a boy, a son. I'll give him to you. But God, remember me first. The Lord remembered her. The Lord remembered Rachel. Both times, God saw their pain and answered. It doesn't actually say, though, how long Hannah suffered, but it does say year after year. So it wasn't just a temporary deal. This was years of grief and hurt for Hannah, but it was gone, gone in a moment. The hurt was gone in a moment. And I want to point out that it was gone before she even got a promise. It was gone before before she had even found out she was pregnant. It was gone before she even knew her situation changed. But why was it gone? It was gone in a moment when she poured everything she had out to God and followed the pouring out with worship. I think a lot of us are maybe good at the pouring out. When we get to that breaking point like Hannah was at, we're we're pretty good at crying and pouring our guts out to God. But she followed it with worship, almost like this seal, you know, this seal on this promise. God, I'm going to worship you before it happens. That's what she did. She just worshiped God before the miracle, before the child, before all of it. She poured her heart out to God and then she worshiped him. When it didn't seem like anything had changed, she still worshiped him. You know what else I see? Earlier in this story, Hannah's husband tried to comfort her. This is verse 8. This is before she went to the temple. Then said Elkanah, her husband, to her, Hannah, why weepest thou? And why eatest thou not? And why is thy heart grieved? Am I not better to thee than ten sons? 
Obviously, he loved her. Obviously, he hated to see her hurt, but this did nothing for Hannah. The love of a husband is wonderful, but it can never fulfill us the way that God can. Later on, when Hannah seeks comfort in God, she leaves feeling better. The word says she was no more sad. So seeking comfort in in a relationship or a husband is not going to match seeking comfort in God, the one who knows all, sees all, knows you, informed you. There's there's no match. I love I love my husband, but there are many times that he doesn't have the words and I can go to God and God doesn't even have to speak, but just being near him, I feel peace. And Hannah felt that after being with the Lord, the word says she was no more sad. If you could ask Hannah, I promise you though, she would say that all the pain, the years of an aching heart was worth it when she saw her son, Samuel, growing up before the Lord and becoming the next great prophet. One that knew the voice of God personally and anointed both Saul and David. Not only this, but I saw and we know where Hannah prayed for one child, saying that if if God would give her this male child, that she would give him back to the temple. After she made good on her promise, you know, they would come every year to the temple. So she came every year to the temple when she didn't have what she desired. When she got what she asked for, when she got a son, when God answered, she remained faithful. She still came every year to the temple, the same as she'd always done. Getting her promise, getting what she'd been asking for didn't change her. Not only that, but in the faithfulness to the promise, the faithfulness to the promise that she made to God, and also in her faithfulness to the house of God, even after getting what she wanted, the prophet Eli prayed for her and spoke a word over her. And guess what? God opened her womb again, and she had three more sons and two daughters, making it a total of six children to a woman that had been barren. God multiplied her request after he saw her faithfulness more than she ever thought she would have, I'm sure. So just a recap, what do we, what do we know about these women? Sarah, God is faithful. He's a promise keeper. Rebecca, we have to make this a matter of true prayer. Rachel, God sees you, he hears you, and he will remember you. Manoah's wife, set yourself apart for special use by God. Even while you wait, Hannah, pour your heart out to God. Live a life of worship, even when it's not going your way, and learn to find comfort in the Lord rather than those around you. There's actually one more, and it's Elizabeth in the New Testament. I am not getting to her today. I just thought I had plenty without it. I I don't want this to be too, too long. So Elizabeth, though, in the New Testament was old in years. She was up in years. She'd never had children. That's the mother of John the Baptist. Uh, I actually just saw that there's a podcast. 
It's called Wicked or Wise. I've listened to it many times, and she just did an episode. I saw it as I was about to record today. She just did an episode on Elizabeth, and she always has so much to say. So if you're wanting to hear Elizabeth's story, I'm sure she'll touch on the barrenness and the promise and all of that. So if you want to hear Elizabeth's story, go and listen. It's called Wicked or Wise. It's very good. It's just a study each week of women in the Bible or every other week. I don't know how often she does it, but it's really good. And she's apostolic. Um, But anyway, so I didn't get into Elizabeth, but I was thankful after I wrote my notes to see that this girl did. Rachel Carpenter is her name. Today, I just pray that you are encouraged and that you have faith that God can do anything. Very soon, I have someone in mind to come and interview on this subject um, that's dealt with infertility, that's been there because I I don't have all the answers and I haven't been there. And um, this is someone that, anyways, I won't get into it, but I I know several, but I have one in mind that I'm going to ask first. So if you're in the middle of infertility, I just want to tell you, you can feel comfortable um, to reach out to me. I have several friends that I'm praying for that are in the middle of it. I have the faith that God is able and the willingness to pray the prayers for your miracle. My heart has been so heavy for those that are dealing with infertility. And while I'll be honest and say, as I've already said, there's no way I can fully understand. I do know what it means to pray for hard things. We pray for miracles every week, multiple multiple times a week, and we see God do a lot of miracles on the road. And so to me, nothing's too hard for God. And and I'm fully willing to help help you pray, to walk alongside you and to pray with you and believe for your miracle. Thank you for listening. I'll talk to you next time.